It didn't bother me that the man next to me made more because uh, I knew that I had worked as hard as I could. Remember this, you're a tough person and you'll survive these tough times. When we talk about the wisdom of the elder, you just listen to a great example of that wisdom. Welcome to Elder Wisdom, stories from the Green Bench. I'm Erin Davis, and I'm so glad you've joined us, because today we're very pleased to be bringing you what we think is a special episode, as my co-host Lloyd Hetherington and I get to sit down on our virtual bench and talk with Jamie Schlegel, President and Chief Executive Officer of Schlegel Villages Retirement and Long-Term Care Residences. So, why talk with the boss? Because we feel that transparency is really what you deserve, what we all deserve. And today, we're not only going to look at where the Schlegels came from, but where they're going, their vision for the future. And we're also planning to take a look behind the curtain, what the differences are between private and for-profit long-term care residences, something that really needs some clarification right now. And we're also going to find out just where the profits go. I told you, it's about transparency. Once again, on the bench for this special episode, Lloyd Hetherington, who himself has an inside perspective on the people, the services, and what makes this man, this retired educator and missionary, this father, grandfather, and widower, call one of these villages home. So let's dig in with CEO and President Jamie Schlegel. Undoubtedly, it's not a unique experience to you, Lloyd, getting a chance to talk to one of the members of the Schlegel family because they do make themselves available to all of the villages. And you have met the chairman, Ron, there at the village of Riverside Glen. Is that right? Uh, That's right. And what a pleasure it was. A very likable man. He's just so down to earth and so friendly. To him, the number one priority was people, people, people. He'd stop to chat, he'd show an interest, he'd show care and concern in the person and in the environment for the people. Well, certainly the apple doesn't fall far from the tree today, as we're going to hear. Thank you so much for being with us, Jamie. And how about that tree? Can you give us kind of a little brief diagram of the family tree of the Schlegels and where you are, which branch you're on? For sure, Aaron, and great to be with you and Lloyd this afternoon uh, having a chat about uh, the Schlegel family and our work in this field and the amazing field of seniors living, which um, is uh, probably more interesting and fascinating than what most people would uh, would expect. So looking forward to the conversation. In terms of the summarized family tree, the Schlegel Village organization was started way back in the early 1950s by my grandparents, Wilfred and Emma Schlegel. And um, it was an interesting start to our work in this field. Uh, Grandpa had an interest in folks who were kind of on the margins of our society. He was a minister in the Mennonite church, our family's faith background, and uh, uh, he spent his life uh, in service to other people. And I know, Lloyd, that resonates with you given your your personal background uh, serving overseas. And uh, so Grandpa you know, found meaning and purpose in his life by helping those who were kind of on the fringes of society and who needed to be brought into the center of the community to make the community more inclusive and make the community healthier and uh, allow those people to be full-fledged contributors to the community. And so he saw seniors uh, being marginalized and... Um, disconnected from much of the community and wanted to change that and started a, a what we'd call today a long-term care home in London, Ontario back in the early 50s. And uh, hmm. I, I like to talk about that because it's a reminder to myself as the third generation um, and uh, others in our organization that uh, as to why we do what we do. It comes from that place of uh, serving thy neighbor and um, it's what guided Grandpa's life, and I hope it's what continues to motivate all of us 
uh, these uh, 70 plus years uh, uh, later. And so grandma and grandpa started it. They, um, it was, as it is today, very much a family effort. Grandpa was the, what we'd call the general manager today of the, the home. And uh, grandma was the person who ran the kitchen and um, all five of their kids, dad being, of course, one of them, um, helped look after the residents and they lived right in the nursing home with the residents. And so dad developed a passion for this work by virtue of growing up in a nursing home, in a long-term care home. Um, he likes to say that uh, he had 40 or so surrogate grandparents growing up as, mm. because, you know, he didn't see them as people who were in need of his care and support, although he did provide some of that. He really came to see them as friends and mentors and people who had interesting life stories, who had lots of wisdom to share many, many years later that uh, probably spawned Dad's uh, idea of uh, elder wisdom, uh, accessing the untapped resource of the wisdom that resides in our elders and society. And so Dad deserves the credit for being innovative and, and uh, visionary and thinking of new and better ways of creating community for our elders. And um, I've had the honor of learning at uh, Dad's feet. And um, as I get older, I realize how much of a unique privilege that has been. And I've also had the privilege of working with my two brothers, Rob and Brad, who are both uh, involved in Schlegel Villages as well. Brad leads up our design and construction team. So all the new building we're doing across our villages, new phases, uh, he and his team focus on that and do a great job. And older brother Rob, uh, who's uh, our chief financial person, as I like to say, he makes sure there's enough nickels and dimes in the piggy bank to <laughs> make sure we can pay our team members for the amazing work they do and um, have a few nickels left over, hopefully, for reinvesting in our buildings and designing and building new new villages. So that's a bit of the kind of the family tree, and I hope that the fourth and subsequent generations of Schlegels, you know, stay committed and passionate about this field. There was a wonderful example, too, that your father set, and that is having you three boys, man, of course, now up to your elbows in the actual day-to-day -day workings. You worked shifts on the floors as PSWs, and I have to think that that was unique in that it also instilled in you not only an appreciation for what went on day-to-day, -day, but an understanding of what PSWs went through, and that sort of an experience that was unique. Can you talk a bit about that, Jamie? Yeah, Aaron, I'm glad you raised that because uh, I think that was really important for the success of our, of our organization going forward is that, you know, dad didn't take the view of, uh, okay, you're my son, so you'll be the president and you'll be the vice president. And by virtue of your genetics, um, mm -hmm. you learned on the ground. Uh, he created opportunities and also an expectation that um, if we were serious about uh, working in this field, uh, that we would work in the neighborhoods with our team members and start uh, much like he did, um, working alongside our team members, learning from our team members, learning from our residents. You know, you had to earn your way. You had to prove that you were ready to take the next step of responsibility. It wasn't assumed. And um, were, were there times along the way that I uh, wish I could have just jumped into a, an office role or something? Uh, for sure. But looking back and it was absolutely the best training ground to build appreciation uh, for this field, to build an appreciation for the, the ability and the talents of our team members, the wisdom that exists within our residents and to build character, frankly. And so we had to work hard and prove ourselves every step of the way. And I think that's made us better people and hopefully better leaders as we've taken on more responsibility in the uh, in the organization going forward. And I had the opportunity as a young person post-graduation uh, to become a general manager in one of our villages. And it was interesting how I, I still, uh, in that role, spent a lot of time out uh, in the neighborhoods working with our team members. Um, I would do that very regularly. put on a uniform of work right alongside our team members because I thought it was just so important to stay connected to what was going on in the neighbors, in the villages. That's where the action is. That's where our mission either lives or dies. And frankly, that's where the fun was. And I think it made me 
a better general manager to have that orientation. So Rob, Brad, and I didn't grow up in a nursing home quite as literally as Dad did, but in many ways we <laughs> we figuratively did for sure. And uh, even before we started working in the villages, um, you know, we would uh, be in tow with Mom and Dad when they went uh, on a Sunday afternoon after church to one of the villages. Uh, I remember mm. spending you know, hours at the villages as a, a young child, playing with residents, uh, having fun with residents. So it, it was, it honestly became part of our DNA, to use a term, or in our blood, and it's mm -hmm. stayed in our blood ever mm -hmm. since. Jamie, I, I am so impressed with the way the villages operate, how the team members, they almost specialize in caring for us first, and then carrying out the duties secondarily. And I know they are motivated by the ethos that just permeates throughout the Schlegel organization, but you must have a very clear-cut mission that you've been able to share with others so they've caught the vision and are, are fulfilling it so well. Yeah, and Lloyd, you know, I, I, I'm happy to chat about that, and I'd also be very interested in your perspective and experience um, I really think about our mission uh, is, is having two fundamental components, and that is creating a caring community with uh, life purpose for each person so that we're creating these rich, vibrant, active communities where all villagers, residents, team members, family members, visitors, volunteers, live successfully in community where everyone feels part of it everyone is engaged everyone feels like they're contributing everyone has opportunities to learn and grow to develop uh, new friendships new relationships to pursue their passions uh, all those things that make life interesting and exciting and that's the sort of community all of us want to live in it doesn't matter if you're eight years old or 28 years old or 88 years old. Those fundamental needs of connecting with people socially, of living well in community, of, of being engaged in life, are those basic needs that all of us have as human beings. And uh, that's really the environment we're trying to create in our villages. That's really the heart of our our mission, is to build healthy, dynamic communities where everyone feels part of. Um, when people ask me, you know, what field we're in, what sort of work do you do? I usually respond that we're not in the healthcare field, although we provide a lot of care support to our residents. Uh, I say we're in the community building field. Our focus is on building community. We happen to provide a lot of care in some cases to our residents. Do we wrap around supports for them? But it's with the ultimate objective of supporting them to be able to live a, a healthy, engaged, and active life. And uh, that's really the core of the mission. And um, it's what kind of grandpa developed in our first village. It's what guided his life and that's what really dad picked up on and, uh, and built into the DNA of our organization, into the bones of it, if you will. I, I think it resonates with our organization, team members, residents, families alike. Uh, because it's real, it's genuine, it's coming from a genuine place. Um, we believe in it, we're passionate about it. And it's so important to meeting the basic needs of us as human beings and as, as social creatures. And when I walk into our villages, um, and COVID is, has prevented a lot of that, uh, unfortunately, and I, I feel disconnected from our villages more than I ever have in my life, but when I walk in their villages and I see the place humming with activity and people doing different things, engaged in different activities, having fun, connecting with each other, preparing for that fundraiser they're going to have on the weekend to support preemie babies at the local hospital or whatever the example is, that to me um, strikes a chord because it's exactly why we're in this field is to create those sorts of uh, communities. And that's, as Dad said, that's really the return on his investment is seeing the mission come to life in our villages. So that's what I hope to see. I, I, you know, Lloyd, I'm curious, you're the expert in this more than I am. You're, you're ensconced in the village of Riverside Glen. Again, it's, it's in the middle of COVID, so it's a bit of a difficult time, but how are, how are you experiencing it? It's been a downer right now 
with the 45 days of isolation, we were locked in our rooms, and many of us got into the rut of staying in our rooms, and we were comfortable there. And so we faced the challenge of trying to bring the people out again and to get them mixing. Yeah. The village advisory team met uh, just this Thursday, and that was one of the number, number one items on their agenda. How do we again get that spirit and that enthusiasm permeating the place where it was just fun to walk down Main Street, delight to bump into people, and just have a wonderful time at the various activities? It's coming, but it's been it's been a challenge with the COVID virus, but the underlying philosophy is there, and the team at Riverside Glen is working very, very hard to fan that flame, to build relationships. We're doing all all sorts of things. The uh, residence committee is the, designing a little newsletter that they send out once a month called the Buzz of Riverside Glen. And what we're trying to do is identify some of the activities and some of the people. So this September issue, for instance, will be focused on education. And we're tracking down all of the retired teachers here. There must be at least a dozen that we found already and probably more. We want to honor them and say thanks for pouring yourself in the lives of others. And we've got one or two people who have had very different educational experiences and We'll include those in the buzz as well. So people, priority first and foremost, and they really make an effort to do it. And the the team here under our general manager, it's fantastic. The general manager, I I don't know how he gets his paperwork done (laughs) because he's always with the people. Mind you, I love it. I love it when when he just drops in to say hi. Well, Bryce is such a wonderful person and lives and breathes the Schlegel values and the and our, and our mission through and through, and uh, we're so blessed to have him part of our team. And then you designed your buildings to make, make them user-friendly. It's fantastic to walk down my corridor to Main Street and to see the, all, all the facilities there, the shop, the hobby room, the office, uh, the library. It's so well-designed and it's a place that attracts people. So there's been a lot of thought on the part of the Schlegel Villages in providing those areas where people can congregate and have a time of fellowship together. Yeah, no, you hit the nail on the head, Lloyd, with that uh, comment around uh, design being very intentional to make it attractive for and encourage people to get out of the rooms and come down to Main Street and connect with one another. That's exactly dad's intention of the village design was to really encourage socialization and and social connectedness. And um, uh, I totally agree that the COVID has kind of um, shut us in and uh, prevented us from experiencing that. And, and when we haven't been able to experience it, we realize how important it is in terms of uh, enjoying a high quality of life for everyone. Uh, Sometimes we don't fully appreciate it until we don't have it anymore. And um, I certainly felt that way that uh, I've been reminded about how special the Main Street, Town Square, the village environment is. And uh, hopefully post-COVID we'll be able to get back to that. I, As you, as you mm-hmm. said the words, I was thinking, if I spend the rest of my time on earth never hearing the word social distance again, I'll be quite happy. Oh. <laughs> Join the club. I, I, I hate that term. That. And I've heard it so many times oh. the last last uh, uh-huh. 19 months. I, uh, it's just, uh, there, there's, there's lots of things we'll learn from COVID and we'll get better as a result, but there's a few things that I'll be happy to leave in the rearview mirror, if you will, and, um, and move on without them. Social distancing being one of them. Right on. One of the things that the social distancing has brought about for all of us is a a need to find different ways to connect. I mean, a year and a half ago, most of us had never Zoomed. You know, we didn't know it was going to become a verb and a part of our lives. But the social distancing that made us come together on this podcast, for example, and the Green Bench has been such a gift for us and a chance to get the message out about Schlegel Villages. Why is it important, Jamie, for the community, for people listening to know about Schlegel Villages and what they're doing to support the quality of life that you and Lloyd have just been talking about? 
I personally think it's uh, less about Schlegel Villages as an organization, even though I think we're doing amazing, in some cases world-leading work, and it's more about being aware of the world of senior living and uh, all the amazing things that are happening in long-term care homes, in retirement homes, in seniors' apartment buildings across uh, the country and around the world. It's a lot of that great stuff's happening in Schlegel Villages, but it's happening certainly elsewhere also. And I think one of the unfortunate casualties of uh, the COVID experience and uh, some of the you know significant challenges that that's presented to especially the long-term care system that the public has got an unfortunate perception of long-term care as a place to be avoided at all costs, uh, that aren't safe, a place that aren't um, places where one can live a, a life of purpose and meaning. And um, I think that's really unfortunate because uh, there is lots of great stuff happening. 99% um, of what I see in our sector is very positive. Are there challenges that have been uh, laid bare by the COVID virus? Absolutely. Do we need to improve in some areas? Of course we do. Uh, just like any organization or any system has areas to improve in. But I, I think there's so much good happening in our system that uh, and in our, in our field. That's really what I'd love for the public to understand is that Let's focus on the 1% or 10% that isn't uh, going as well as it should and, and certainly get better at that. But let's also not forget about the 90% that is going well and that we should be acknowledging and building on and getting even better as a result. Well, let's try and hit on some of those things, Jamie. What is the difference between retirement homes and long-term care? I think that there's a lot of blurred lines here. Yeah, and some of the blurred lines are because in a, an effective high-functioning system, there there is a, a level of integration between those various areas. But I do agree, Aaron, that uh, there is a lot of confusion around uh, the differences in these various uh, parts of the system. And so let me take a very quick uh, attempt at explaining. Sure. Uh, Long-term care homes are used to be called nursing homes, mm -hmm. are provincially licensed and regulated homes. So though they're funded largely by the provincial ministry of health or in, in Ontario's case the ministry of long-term care they are regulated by uh, the provincial government they're inspected by the provincial government the uh, quality metrics are reported through government portals the minister of long-term care and the director of the what used to be called the nursing homes branch have uh, certain powers within the long-term care home act uh, so it's it's a specifically provincially legislated and regulated and funded system. And that's what we talk a lot about, and that's certainly what's been reported on a lot in the media recently. And those homes oftentimes are caring for relatively physically frail seniors, seniors living with dementia, Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia. And so they, they tend to care for and support folks who have relatively significant care needs. Uh, retirement homes are generally privately funded. So retirement homes are private pay. Folks move into retirement home and they pay for their accommodation and food and care services directly themselves as, as compared to long-term care home where two-thirds or 70% of the cost of long-term care home is paid for by the government and the resident uh, or family pays for the remaining, call it 30%. Retirement homes are strictly private pay. They generally provide uh, much less care than long-term care homes. They are regulated, but through the Retirement Homes Regulatory Authority, so a different regulatory framework and not nearly as extensive as uh, the Long-Term Care Homes Act. The care levels tend to be much lighter. They include uh, a full range of living options from independent living where folks might be living in a, uh, an independent apartment through to assisted living and memory care where a fair bit of care might be provided. But it's all private pay and it's not regulated to near the same extent and, and inspected the way long-term care homes are. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, and then you have senior department buildings that uh, exist that are generally private pay. Some are affordable housing, so they're subsidized by the local municipality in some cases. But that would be part of the system as well, these senior departments, the retirement home sector, and the and the long-term care homes. At Schlegel Village, we put all those together into a campus of care, but they, from a regulatory standpoint, they are kind of three separate pieces to the system. Okay. So what do you want people to know then, Jamie, about Schlegel's long-term care homes? Things like what being for-profit allows you to do that not-for-profit cannot, and that for-profit is not necessarily two dirty words. There can be obviously benefits for everyone in it. So I need you to clarify some of that for people who, you know, come into this kind of giving you the side eye a little bit. Yeah. Uh, thanks for raising that, Aaron, because I, I think it's an issue that has uh, gotten a lot of um, airtime, if you will, in the media. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of making this distinction between different types of providers in long-term care. Uh, so in, in long-term care, there are uh, private or for-profit organizations, of which Schlegel Villages is one. There are not-for-profit uh, organizations that own and uh, operate long-term care homes. There are charitable organizations, and there are municipalities. In fact, uh, most municipalities are required to operate at least one what they used to call home for the aged, and now they're part of the long-term care system. So there's different providers right. uh, within the long-term care uh, system. And um, there have been long debates about who provides better care, who provides safer care, who provides more efficient care, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And um, that has always uh, advised me, and I think it's wise to not get into a, a long, protracted ideological debate about which part of the system may or may not be better. He's always said, let's just focus on doing the absolute best job we can, and that's the best way to influence the the system. And frankly, I think the distinctions between private, not-for-profit, charitable, and municipal operators is largely a red herring. We're talking about distinctions that don't really matter in the end. What matters is the quality of care and the quality of life that's provided with each, within each one of these homes and within each one of these organizations. And I've mm-hmm. seen private organizations that provide excellent quality of life and excellent care. I've seen the same excellent care and quality of life in not-for-profit, charitable, and municipal homes. And I've seen, frankly, less than ideal care and quality of life in each one of those parts of the sector. So to me, it has much less to do with whether you're private or not-for-profit or municipal, and much more to do with the quality of the leadership, the mission of the organization. These are the things that matter much more than the type of ownership. So I think we do ourselves a disservice, frankly, to our elders uh, who live in the system by focusing on these distinctions that, frankly, I don't think really matter. And it takes our eye off the things that do matter which is how do we actually create organizations, create environments where we can provide the best care and also the best quality of life for our residents to enjoy and frankly for our team members and families to experience as well. And I think that is really what we should be focusing on more than these artificial distinctions. And I think Lloyd can definitely speak to that, Jamie, because if you don't mind me asking, What does the Schlegel organization do with the lion's share of the profits? And Lloyd will be able to tell us, you know, Mm -hmm. whether there's evidence of that money being put back in instead of somebody's bank account somewhere. And I'm sorry to sound cynical, but I think that that is a lot of, you know, the perception because it happens in industry everywhere. So how could you guys be different when you most definitely are? You know, I I think it's entirely fair that individuals that... um, make an investment in a particular sector, whether it's the hospitality sector, whether it's in manufacturing, whether it's in healthcare, that they get a, a reasonable return on that investment. Just like when we make investments in our RSPs, uh, we expect to get a return on the investment. So, so I, I think yeah. that's fair and I think that's appropriate and I don't think we should shy away from that. Having said that, it comes down to priorities. Uh, it comes down to what the focus of an organization is. And and Dad certainly inculcated this in me, that the reason why we exist as an organization is to pursue and bring to fruition our mission. 
it's not fundamentally to make money. We have to be financially sound. We have to be good stewards of our resources because if we don't manage our money carefully, we're not going to be around long enough right. to pursue our mission. Yeah, uh, you're not doing anybody any good. Yeah, and mm -hmm. but but you know, I think organizations when they get themselves into trouble is when they get these things mixed up and they start mixing up means and ends. Our end as an organization is to bring our our mission to life. One of the means of doing that is financial resources, amongst other things, uh, human resources, ideas, innovation, energy, all are part of the inputs to pursue and bring that mission to life. So Dad has always said, and I, I as again, I grow older, I, I understand this uh, more and more that money or capital is a means to an end. It's not the end in itself. It's a means to a greater end. The greater end is our mission. And I think organizations, as long as they keep that focus, can do exceptionally good work, no matter if they're private or public or municipal or, or not-for-profit. It's when they start getting those mixed up and they start to say our reason for being is, is simply to make money and the mission is secondary, that then we get ourselves into trouble as organizations. And we try to be very focused, very clear on what our priorities are and what the what the end objective is versus what the means to the ends are. And so we seek capital and money as a tool to achieve greater objectives. And so, you know, the money that we generate from our villages, um, we invest back in our villages. We invest back in improving our villages. We invest back in uh, building new villages so we can expand our mission to more and more people. We have basically used virtually every penny that we've earned uh, to invest back in the organization. Um, Rob, Brad and I get a salary just like any other person in our organization. Uh, beyond that, we don't take any money out of the business. We invest it all back in to uh, benefit hopefully our residents and our team members and also to continue to expand our mission. And um, you know, I think it comes down to, as it does in many things in life, about priorities, what's important, and what you focus on. And you do an excellent job. I look around it, it the place where I live, mm. and I see a beautiful orchard that was put in a little while ago. I see a mini golf course, a lovely fish pond. I see the recreation room refurbished and uh, tidied up. It's just one thing after another. You invest, invest, invest in the organization, in the people, and the facilities. So it's evident that you're putting into practice your philosophy that the people and the programs are the priority. The money will fall into its proper place. Lloyd, I, I th again, I think you've hit the nail on the head, as you often mm. do. If we focus on the right things, generally the money will, will follow, and to some extent success will mm -hmm. follow. You know, Dad often, <laughs> once in a while, say to me, are we actually making any money? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, because it's just not a priority of his. Um, you know, he's interested to make sure that we're viable, obviously, which we need to be, but it's just not how, the way he's wired up. It's not the priorities that he has for his own life. As he says often, my return on my investment is to go into the villages and see people like Lloyd and many others uh, enjoying a high quality of life. That's really the return that means the most to him. I remember your father saying to me that he wasn't concerned whether it was an 8% profit or 9 or 10%. That really didn't bother him. What really concerned him was that the people were being served and there was a cash flow that was enough to meet the needs and the challenges of the organization. Yeah, I... Yeah. I think that's uh, nicely summarizes it, Lloyd, for sure. That's a beautiful mission statement in and of itself. The story that I think also encapsulates who you are, if I could, is the one about the city planners who were gobsmacked to find out that Schlegel Villages actually wanted community trails to go through the village grounds. <laughs> I love that story, and I love also learning about the things that Schlegel Villages, the different residences and homes offer that are open to the community. You guys are not islands unto yourselves. And there's this transparency and openness and embracing of the community. If you could give us that in a nutshell, Jamie, that would be really, really great. Yeah, sure. Aaron. that's, uh, I'm glad you've raised that, uh, that issue because, uh, you know, dad has always talked about our villages as community centers for not just seniors, but uh, all ages in the broader community. A place where people can come to go for a spa treatment at the Riverstone Spa. 
place where people can make a reservation and go up to the Ruby restaurant for a fine dining experience. A place where you go to see your family doctor and get your health care needs met. A place where seniors might go for fitness programs or for the local senior center that's embedded onto the main street. A place where you go to pick up your prescription medications. You, you know, we've always had kind of an outward view. We've wanted to bring the community into the village partly recognizing that some of our residents can't get out into the community anymore, so we have to bring the outside community into them to allow them to stay connected. And I think it's also been important to Dad to kind of break down those stereotypical walls that have existed where people drive by on the street, so, well, that's the old folks' home that uh, I've never been to and never want to go right. to. Uh, as compared to being a place that people just see as part of the community that Oh, yeah, I dropped my kids off there on Tuesday night for their scouts program that they were going to. Wow. Uh, breaking down those barriers. Uh, you know, in the Western society, we haven't done a great job of bringing our elders and our various generations together. Uh, other societies around the world have done that much better, including our Indigenous uh, brothers and sisters in uh, North America. I think there's lots to learn from them, and that's certainly one of them is how we not only treat our elders, but also how we connect the various generations together. And um, the villages play uh, an intergenerational integrating role in our society that I think is increasingly important. So we're kind of the antithesis to the kind of the gated community, you know, where you have the, the nice uh, grand gates at the entrance and the guard there that, uh, you know, that either opens mm -hmm. the gates for you if you're supposed to be there or not. Yeah. Is it to keep people in or keep gates. people out? That's the whole question, right? Do they swing both ways? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's probably more the latter. Yeah, actually, right. Keeping people out. And, uh, you know, we're the antithesis of that. A gated community would, would see a community trail through it as a big threat. Uh, we see it as a wonderful opportunity to have that trail come through our village and connect it into our green spaces and our courtyards, some of which Lloyd has referred to, yeah. and uh, have the you know the young kids um, you know walking along there after school and connecting with one of our residents sitting on the bench in their courtyard yeah. and striking up a conversation. I think mm -hmm. I think we need to have more of that happening in our society, not less. Lloyd, can you uh, reassure me that the mini golf is not close to the fish pond because that's where my ball is going to end up. <laughs> I need to know that for sure. <laughs> no, there, there, there's enough space. So I, the fish is safe Oh, here. good. Thank you. I don't want it to be the special at the Ruby restaurant the next night. Yeah, right. There's koi. Yeah, it's just... What's this, yeah, what's this yeah. golf ball doing in my koi Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, goodness. Jamie, let, let me speak about the open door policy. Sure. I, I live next door to uh, the... Riverside Glen for eight years, and it was over often for the exercise groups and the various activities. In the last couple of years that my wife was alive, she came across every Wednesday faithfully for the choir that was there, right. and she integrated into it, and it, it, it was the, high, the highlight for her. Mm -hmm. And I can still remember her practicing so hard the verse of Puff the Magic Dragon right. that she was going to sing as a solo. Mm -hmm. But the, the point is this, that uh, there was a welcome mat out. We mingled in the crowd. No one stopped to say, are you a resident or not a resident? Mm -hmm. We were all part of the program at that time, and uh, it was just so beneficial. Yeah. And I, I think it, it's fantastic. Let me ask you this, Lloyd. When it was time for you to make a decision to move into Riverside Glen, did those experiences with your wife and having been to Riverside and been part of those choir events and so on, did that ease the transition? Did that make that decision and that transition easier? It was a given that uh, eventually I'd make my way to Riverside Glen. And uh, I, had a, I had a horror story before I arrived here. I was in the hospital with some mm -hmm. broken vertebrae, and uh, the doctor said I couldn't go back to my condo, so I had to find some respite care. And the place I found, they were doing a good job, but it, it wasn't Riverside Glen at all. And I could hardly wait for the four months to get over with so I could move into my place here. And I've had absolutely no regret. Yeah, that's, that's wonderful to hear. And, that you know, it's part of the benefit of having an open door to the community is that it um, not only breaks down barriers and builds relationships between generations, which I think is so important. It also breaks down barriers within the elderly generation. 
You know, people have a fear of long-term care homes. They have a fear of moving into these places. There's a negative connotation. And the more we connect uh, seniors living in the community to the village and allow them to come and be part of events, uh, to come for exercise programs, to come for medical checkups, to come for a meal, whatever the reason, uh, it, those barriers start to break down and uh, it doesn't become a place to be feared, but in fact a place to look forward to. And uh, I think that's also important because uh, these years in a person's life should be ones that the person looks forward to, not uh, ones that a person dreads. But we have to open our doors to allow those barriers to be broken down. And once this COVID uh, crisis is over, the doors will be flung wide open again. I know the village advisory team is talking about some of the, some of the ideas of getting the kids back in with school choirs getting our people out to visit schools, and they're bouncing around a lot of ideas so that the doors will swing both ways. People coming in. Mm-hmm. There's yeah, there's kind of this pent-up desire, isn't there, Lloyd, to kind of get back to not not just life the way it was, but in fact, life even better than the way exactly. it was. And, uh, I'm, I'm actually really excited to see how each of our villages responds to that pent-up energy and utilizes it to even become more connected to and involved in and integrated with uh, the broader community. I think we're going to see programs flourish in ways that we've right. never seen before because there's just such a motivation for it. Well, that leads us perfectly into what I'm afraid is going to have to be close to our final question. There's so much more that we want to talk about, Jamie. David Bowie <laughs> said that aging is an extraordinary process where you become the person you always should have been. And you have just yeah. kind of had this wonderful glimpse into the future where the doors are open wide. And Lloyd, of course, referred to this as well. And there is a new integration, a ramping up of the community sense once more, what is your hope, Jamie? What is your hope for the future of long-term care? Let me anchor my response in an incredibly meaningful conversation I had with one of our residents at uh, the village at University Gates in Waterloo. Um, this individual had moved in to the village just about a year before that, and uh, he lived with Parkinson's and um, at times struggled with, with that ailment but maintained his joy and zest for life. He's a lawyer by training, and uh, his mind was keen and active, and he contributed uh, in many, many different ways to village life. And uh, I happened to be in the village one day, and um, I saw him, and we started chatting on Main Street. And uh, he told me, he said, it's uh, coming up on the first year anniversary since he moved into University Gates. And um, we were talking about all the things he was involved in over that year. And um, there were many, many things, some in the village, some at the organizational level. Um, he had been a just a really engaged contributor to the village and the broader Schlegel Village organization. And we were kind of reminiscing a bit. And in the middle of that reminiscing, he stopped fairly abruptly and looked at me and said, you know what? He said, this last year has been the best year of my life. Mm. I just stopped and thought about that for a moment. And I thought to myself, why why shouldn't that be what we aspire to in long-term care? That it's the best year of a person's life, notwithstanding maybe the challenges that come with old age physically or cognitively. There are other challenges in other parts of our lives uh, that are probably equally as daunting. Why shouldn't we aspire as a society and as individuals, just like that individual did, to conclude this has been the best Mm -hmm. year of my life? I don't think we should settle for anything less than that aspiration. And that, I guess, would be my hope uh, for the long-term care system and every person living and working in it, is that we aspire not just to live, not just to preserve life, not just to create safe environments for folks, not just to provide good care, all of which is important, of course, but that we aspire to something much greater and more ambitious, and that is to live the best year of our life coming up um, Mm -hmm. or the best next day that we have a life filled with meaning and purpose and joy and love and all those qualities that are so important at any age. I, I would love for us to rethink the paradigm of long-term care and and come at it totally differently with the lens and the experience that that resident had. Um, I think it's a wonderful example and something my sense is we should settle for no less. Jamie, you're certainly creating an environment for us where we can say 
this is the best day of my life. This is the best year of my life. You've got a team of dedicated workers. You've got programs in place. You've got an environment that's safe and comfortable. Just everything to make it a great place to be. Well, you know, Lloyd, I think you pointing to our team members is, is so appropriate. Our team members are the part of the extended Schlegel family that really make it happen in the village every day. They're the ones that deserve the credit for our success, mm -hmm. for bringing our mission to life. And I'm not saying this just out of false humility. I'm frankly a very, very small part of it. Uh, it's those uh, frontline neighbor team members who are making the village a success. They're the ones that deserve the credit along with our residents. The rest of the organization, like me, are people on the sidelines cheering on and uh, encouraging and uh, hopefully clearing away some obstacles, but they're the people that are making it happen. We leave this podcast, I think, today, Jamie, with a couple of different senses. One, on a personal level, is that I come out with a sense of optimism for what the future of long-term care looks like. And as the growing, the, the powerful baby boomer demographic, it should be the best that it can be because, you know, this is what we expect. We're a little bit entitled. It's who yes. we are. The baby boomers there and always get what they yeah. want. They've been the biggest demographic. So it th that will not stop as they enter their retirement years. Uh, yeah. They will demand more and they will get more and we'll have to rise to the occasion. Absolutely sure. you will. And we talk with our wallets too. <laughs> yes. But also the fact that my dad is in a place in British Columbia and I'm so wishing that he had, well, Lloyd for a neighbor and was in a Schlegel village. And I'm saying that not with an ounce of insincerity. I really, truly do wish that. What are you hoping, Jamie, that people listening today will take away from this podcast? Yeah, I hope they come away from this podcast with the same optimism that you've just expressed, mm. Heron, uh, the same optimism that I have, and the same, I'm going to say, commitment to um, redefining long-term care, to redefining seniors' care, to th thinking about it differently and thinking about it positively and thinking that there are lots of good things happening that we can continue to build on. And I think if people go away with a sense of um, optimism, even a bit of an excitement about uh, the field of senior living, then um, it will have been worth uh, certainly spending the time I have and hopefully you feel the same way in, in having this conversation. Thank you. And, you know, there was a German architect that uh, maybe your brother, who's in charge of design and architecture for Schlegel Villages, Ludwig Levy, who once said that age doesn't make you wise, choice does. Mm. And I think that it's the wisdom that comes in choices. And you chose as a family, why didn't you just stop at one or two homes? I have mm. to ask you that before, before mm. we let you go. I think why we didn't uh, is that we believe so deeply in our mission that... We didn't want to just have a group of seniors at Winston Park in Kitchener and a group of seniors at Kensington Village in London being the beneficiaries and experiencing our mission that we believed in so strongly we wanted to have more folks across Ontario uh, experiencing that. Uh, and that's really been the motivation. Um, Dad said to, to me on several occasions, and he said to others, that, you know, I'm not going to drive it different car, a fancier car. I'm not going to live in a bigger house. I'm not going to live a different life if I have, uh, we own 20 villages or two villages. So I'm going to, I'm going to be the same person and live uh, the same life. It, it, uh, so it wasn't about kind of uh, accumulating material wealth. It, it wasn't about buying that fancier car. It was really uh, about believing strongly in our mission and wanting more people to participate in it and, and experience it. And that's what is a source of great satisfaction to me is that uh, as we continue to grow as an organization that uh, folks who previously hadn't had that experience uh, will will have the opportunity to do so. And, and that's what keeps us going and keeps us motivated. I'm going to leave the last word here to Lloyd because you two have such a special connection mm -hmm. uh, in your familiarity both with Schlegel and Schlegel Villages. So Lloyd, it's over to you. Jamie, thank you so much for sharing of your time like that, sharing of your heart. You certainly have the right philosophy. People are important. People in the senior years of life, providing them with security and hope and help. But people at other stages who can mingle with us so that we see life in all its continuity. 
Thank you so much. It's great to be part of this organization. Thanks, Lloyd. Uh, that uh, means a lot coming from you. And um, when we talk about the wisdom of the elder, Aaron, um, you've just uh, and I've just uh, listened to a great example of that wisdom. Yeah, you have. Lloyd is the whole package. He is the whole package. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for giving him a place to flourish and grow and blossom. Our pleasure. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks, Lloyd. You're welcome. Well, thank you for listening to our chat with Jamie Schlegel, CEO and President of Schlegel Villages. I think you're going to agree with the African proverb that says, those who respect the elderly pave their own road towards success. If you'd like more information on joining this community of service and caring, just go to schlegelvillages.com. That's S-C-H-L-E-G-E-L villages.com. And we always welcome your feedback on these Green Bench episodes. To ensure you don't miss a single one, including the delightful Red Green star Steve Smith, the hilarious couple who just happened to be residents, Patricia and Dennis Bailey, and so many more really special people who've sat on this bench with us, just subscribe. And by subscribing, you'll be notified just as soon as they're up. On behalf of Lloyd Hetherington and the entire Schlegel family, both those in the tree that we talked about off the top, as well as those who work and live at Schlegel Villages and feel like family. I'm Erin Davis. Thank you for your time, and we'll talk to you again soon, because your seat on the green bench is ready and waiting. Elder Wisdom. Stories from the Green Bench. Is brought to you by Schlegel Villages, a complete continuum of care offering independent living to long-term care, celebrating and honoring the wisdom of the elder. To learn more about us, please go to our website, schlegelvillages.com.